everybody. Welcome back. Sort of cool show. Here we are. Here, <laughs> here we are again. Here we are once again. Another We're week. here. Oh my Where gosh, man. I didn't leave last week. You didn't leave? You just no, sat here? I've been sitting here in front of this microphone since the last time we recorded. Just couldn't wait. Oh, didn't go, I didn't go to work. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's the stupid, crazy thing about this, man. This is a hobby for us. We're just having a good time. Yeah, man. You know, like we have jobs. We're trying to squeeze this. We're trying to squeeze this thing in our schedules, man. That's right, man. I gotta ask my wife. Hey, can we do a podcast tonight? You know what? <laughs> I do. I actually have to. That's like you. I have to say, what's oh, going on man. tonight? Hey, me and Steve are going to record tonight. Oh, it's not a good night. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great, man. I don't even know how we pull this off, but we do every single week, and it's so and, oh, fun. It's so fun. You know, man. another thing. You know, another thing. I have to ask my wife too. Hey, honey, um, is it cool if I go to the record store? I ain't asking mine. Buy some records. <laughs> I ain't doing it. Uh, I'm there, buddy. No, then I tell them after the fact. Cool. No, my wife is super cool. Like I, yeah, I still I feel weird is. sometimes when I go to the store, like to, to just kind of browse and flip through the bins and see what's yeah. come in and what they have yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Because I'm like, you know, I still have, I've got kids. I've got a house payment. I've got right, bills. Man, me too. Same here. You know, I gotta like, I still gotta feed my my vinyl record habit. I do too. And when I walk through the door at the end of the day. Cause I live, you know, I don't live, I work where I, another place where I live. And so I, I get home later and I, and if I walk in with a couple of records, I try to kind of hide them behind my back and shoot upstairs real quick. <laughs> oh man. No, I haven't had to do that. Like I, my, my wife is super, super great. About, yeah. About we'll see what my Angie is too. Yeah. Yeah. She knows yeah. that's my thing, man. It's funny when she sees those flat square boxes come in the middle <laughs> from, from Amazon. <laughs> yes. Sometimes I'll get a text. Hey, your record showed up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, I di- I did, man. I like I for me, you know, I'm a huge GNR fan, and so they yep. just reissued that, or not reissued actually. They never put it on vinyl before their greatest mm-hmm. hits record, wow. and so it's now on a double vinyl 180 gram. And they added uh, Shadow of Your Love, which was an okay. unreleased track from kind of like the yeah they did some some demos during the um, Appetite days. Okay. And that song was was a contender for Appetite for Destruction, but really? didn't quite. Good song. I haven't heard it. It's a good song. really good song, man. It's gonna be, so it's going to be on the hits record. Awesome. I hadn't yeah. ordered mine yet, but I plan to. Hey, I was thinking, you know, you and I both buy a whole lot of vinyl. I've been buying through this pandemic, through, you know, the, the COVID-19 coronavirus, whatever you guys want to call it. I... I've been buying a lot of vinyl on Amazon. I've been ordering it and I've been going to my local store up the road and buying mm-hmm. stuff there too. And it it's just stopped me, of, man. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just been one of those things where I, I think if anything, I've started to purchase more vinyl during mm-hmm. this time. Um, and it's I think a, partly because I have a little bit more time to, to sit down and listen to music. You know, I'm not, I don't have a commute to and from the office every day. Right, so right. time kind of like, you know, a little bit more time to actually, you know, listen to to music and I, I mean sitting down and dropping the needle and listen to a record you know side one or side two or whatever has been really cool so anyway but i'm pumped about getting that gnr hits when does it come out i think september 25th is the date okay. the release date yeah yeah. see i haven't done it yet i haven't pre-ordered it yet but i'm going to you know you're talking about buying on amazon and as you very keenly know i have an issue with ordering on Amazon. The issue is that I order all the time. And I'll tell you what I'm looking for, man. I cannot believe it's not out. I'm looking for, you know, Heart is one of my favorite bands. They have one greatest hits record out on on uh, vinyl. 
but their big ones they released in like the eighties or not, or the nineties, they haven't, they haven't released them yet. But so I'll think about things I'd like to find to see if they're on vinyl, you know? And so I'm always on Amazon looking, but I love it for that, man. You know? Yeah. Vinyl has had in, you know, the last 10 years has had a huge comeback, you know? Mm, and yes. I mean, obviously in the seventies, vinyl was the format of choice. It was just sure. massive. And then I think, you know, the eighties, early eighties was kind of cassettes and then, you moved into CDs and mm-hmm. obviously then downloads were had a massive run and right. streaming now is the, is the yep. preferred way that most people listen to music. And along with streaming, as streaming has increased in market share as far as the way people consume music, vinyl has taken the exact same trajectory. So right. the more people stream, the more they also buy vinyl. Yes. which is really, really crazy. But it just goes to show you that people still want to own their music. I do. Know? Man, I and, do. I, I do. I, I want to own it, man. I don't want to just listen. Yeah. And so, you know, I typically will buy my used records, you know, the OG version of an album or something at, sure. a, at a record store. And then mm-hmm. I reserve kind of Amazon for the new stuff. Because it's like, look, if I'm going to buy a new record, you know, I can pay $28 in a store or I can pay mm-hmm. $19. 99 on Amazon. Yeah. So that, that leaves me extra money to spend on <laughs> the kind of used records that I want. Cause the records that I want tend to cost 60, 70, 80, you know, 150 bucks or whatever, depending on what it is. So exactly. they're a little harder to find. Now, what if you're looking for, you say new vinyl, are you talking about remastered reissue? Or are you talking about like a new record that came out? Like whoever's new record just came out. Like, I think I know what you're talking oh, about. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking about just kind of anything that's like re- reissued, remastered, you know, the 180 remasters that Kiss did or, yeah. you know, whatever. Like for example, you know, I didn't want the remastered Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet. I wanted the OG. So Yeah, me too. Yeah, me so too. I got that. I would like the OG of Appetite for Destruction. That's the one that I don't have, but I've got yeah, the 180 gram and it sounds I got so the 180. Good. It does I'm sound like, good. I'm man. I'm okay with that one. I'm okay to just kind of hang there with that one and I'm not I'm not nostalgic in the sense that I have to own the original version of these records. I think right, for me right. it's that if they don't have a 180, then my only choice is to buy the original if I want to yes. have it. And that and those the ones I want are expensive. There is a book, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but I have it upstairs. But it's a book about this guy. You'll love this. This guy was a vinyl guy like myself, about my age. So he back in the 70s, he was buying vinyl, you know. And back when, when it came time to go to a different format, he, like a lot of us, got rid of all of our vinyl. And we allowed our moms to sell them for a quarter at the yard sale. You know, biggest dumbest thing we've ever done in our lives and so um but this guy got it upon himself that he would try to buy his five vinyl records the now we're not talking about a copy of the one the actual records he had and i can't remember the titles but he had them in a it, all five of these records, he had them. He would know they were his. Either they had a certain mark that he made on the cover or on the record or whatever. But this guy searched for ten years, and he found all five of those records wow, that he cool owned when he was in a teenager. And it was through Facebook and Twitter and and just going to different record stores and, and you know, knowing that a certain record store had been here that, um, it was just crazy the way this book, the, the journey that this guy went, but he found man, all five of those records that he owned himself. 
Wow. And they were still in existence. I thought that was an awesome story, but yeah, man. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So, so I was, I I was thinking, you know, with with the way vinyl has made a comeback, you know, and, and a really, a really cool resurgence over the years, it got me thinking about bands and Mm -hmm. certain records and, and certain bands that have had some major comebacks in their career, you know, right, just as an, right. as an artist. I remember being a kid and my dad had Aerosmith Toys in the Attic. Mm-hmm. That record came out in 1975 mm-hmm. and I was born in 1975. So chances are I was born in September. Wow. So chances are that record came out before I was actually born. But my dad that had it. So crazy. So I grew up spinning that album you know right and right i i loved that i loved that record i love the great cover album the record, man yeah the, oh, oh no doubt man yeah get your wings was my first aerosmith album that my dad brought home to me and i didn't know who aerosmith was but i listened to get your wings and i was just floored so then i went and naturally into the other ones rocks and toys and all that too so Right, yeah, Toys came out the year after Get Your Wings came out. So Yeah, man. Um, so Aerosmith's first record came out in 1973, and they sold a couple million copies. And then obviously Get Your Wings, which a lot of people will say is the best Aerosmith yeah. record ever. It, it is my favorite, hands down, Aerosmith <laughs> yeah. record. No so, doubt. So they sold another few million copies on that one. And then Toys was, you know— Technically, Toys is their biggest record. It did eight yeah. million copies. Walk, walk this ways on it, right? You know, and it, that what a smash! Big ten inch and yes, well, the other ones. I mean, just such great. <laughs> yes, it's just it's, a rock and roll record. It's a great record. Um, Jack Douglas produced that that one, and then Jack also produced Rocks. Their next. See, that's record. another last child back in the saddle, man. Yeah. Good gosh, man! Yeah. What a record. And that what one did record. four. And that one did four million. Now think about it. That did half as much as Toys, but four millions a Oh yeah, Heck of a lot of freaking records, man. Like, and that's and you know, think about it, Steve. That's back when it that you know we're talking years before social media came out and oh, before yeah. streaming. I mean, you're talking hardcore touring, selling records like everybody did back then. You know, yeah, so touring, it, radio. I mean, those were the things. But the thing about back then was, you know, that's someone walking into a store. That's four mm. million people. people. That's right. You know what I mean? It's just like, holy crap, man. You figure 4 million people. I mean, look at 8 million people on Toys in the Attic, which is totally crazy. Um, so they had this long string of records, man. So they did, you know, self-titled, Get Your Wings, Toys, Rocks, Draw the Line, Night in the Ruts, Rock in a Hard Place. Wow. Done with Mirrors, produced by Ted Templeman, you know, who mm-hmm. did the first Van Halen record and the first Bullet Boys record. That's right. And... So done with mirrors came out in '85. It only went gold. It only That's sold a half million copies. You know what I mean? So wow. they went from Toys in the Attic doing eight million. Next record did four. Next record did two. Next record sold a million, and the next record went gold. And then the next wow. record went gold. And then you and I were talking about this earlier. Run DMC and Rick Rubin. I'm telling you, man. Joined forces and they cover "Walk This Way." How brilliant was that? How was brilliant was that? It was I mean, that, yeah, that man, and because you're talking about, you know, okay, you're talking about Run DMC, who who kind of was pioneering that early rap stuff. Prior to that, you know, you had Sugar Hill Gang come out with Rapper's Delight thing they had. Right. So that kind of was open up, and then, you know, and then NWA comes out, Run DMC comes out, Grandmaster Flash, and and all those, and even even in the film industry, like they had the they had movies like that, like yes, Breaking. You know, Breaking all that kind of stuff, man. Breaking yes, one, man. breaking two, and stuff like. So it was such a huge thing, and I remember like 
you know, a lot of my friends were breakdancing and like yes. all that kind of junk. You know what I mean? Did you ever I never, do it? I never learned Come it. I was now. like, that's so Come crazy. on now. I was more of a, you I know. You pop and lock, didn't you? No, I didn't, man. But I did. I will say I did. Own, <laughs> I did own Raisin Hell on cassette and. Hey, yeah. And I got it on vinyl, man. And, and, I, and, I bought and, both of those on cassette when I was a kid. Life still, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, man. I'm telling you, it's great. That whole record is good. I got the vinyl of that one, you know, and oh my gosh, but but when Rick Rubin and Run DMC decided to do that, you know, the thing of what it did was it not only introduced rap fans to rock, you know, we've heard this story, heard the rock fans over to rap, but the correlation of the song, man, of yeah. it, it was just brilliant. And that kind of brought Aerosmith back into the limelight. You know, because that that was, if I'm not mistaken, this was after they had gotten cleaned up. Yeah. And they were really doing kind of healthy again. And then they come well, out. Yeah. This stuff. I mean, the record before that that they put out was called Done With Mirrors. I mean, right. come on. Like, yeah, you come can, on. You know what that is. You know what that means, right? So, Absolutely. so that, that record came out in 1985. It went gold. Like I said, Ted Templeman produced it. And then Run DMC in 86 comes out with their album Raisin Hell. And Walk This Way was covered on it. And I think the thing about it, it wasn't so much the song. It was the music video. The, mu the music video was great. The music video is kick what down really catapulted yeah. Aerosmith back into the it spotlight. Did. It did. You know, when, you see, when you see Steven Tyler kick through that brick wall, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like it was such a huge moment for music television, for MTV, yeah, it was. It and was. really for the music like music culture for rock music and for hip hop music to kind of join forces because hip hop music was still in its infancy. It was. I, and it was so street too at that point. Yeah. It wasn't as slick and you know, and to be honest with you, I, for somebody that doesn't love rap, I mean I'm not I'm a I'm not a huge fan of rap music. I appreciate right. it. And there's artists that I do like. That old school stuff is if I was gonna listen, that's what I'd want to listen to. But you know what I thought about when that video came out? I thought about, you know, all the people that were introduced now to Aerosmith. It's, let's say they were rap fans, you know, and I just wondered, did the DMC boys go, that dude cannot dance. That lead singer cannot dance. <laughs> right, right. That was hilarious, man. But yeah, great, great. Yeah, but if you, if you think about where Aerosmith was at that point in their career, so... 1979 was Night in the Ruts, and that okay. did a million copies. Mm -hmm. Next record mm -hmm. was 82, sold a half a million. Next record, 85, sold a half a million. Every album that they had put out up to this point was on Columbia Records. Okay. And I don't know the story. I don't know if they got dropped. I don't know if they fulfilled their commitment to their label within their deal, and they just walked. I don't I don't right. know what the stipulation was. I don't, I don't know how that all played out. I haven't had But I do know either. that... After Done With Mirrors came out in 85, they're no longer on Columbia. And okay. they signed a deal with Geffen Records, with the, okay. the David Geffen company, right? Geffen yeah, Records, David Geffen. Yes. Uh, which is where, I mean, that's where Appetite I mean, for Destruction came out on. Yes, you know, it did. Tesla. Yes, it did. I mean, there were so yeah. many massive bands that came out on that Geffen label. I remember back then, I would buy a record just because of that G logo. Did you really? Because I knew I knew if it was on Geffen, well, I was going to love it. Uh, I have a friend I went to college with, and he would buy anything that came out on IRS records. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. REM. And right. That if he said, look, if I'm in a record store, and I used to go to record stores with this guy from when we were in college, and he didn't know the band from anything, but if it had IRS on it, he brought it home because he thought, you know, 
Why can't I, you know, and that, I love that man, the way he did yeah. that. So I get to what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. So in 1987, they put their first record out with Geffen called permanent vacation. Wow. Now the difference between what happened prior on Columbia. Okay. So their whole career on Columbia happened. Then they signed with Geffen and they made some, they made some tweaks, right? Because the last couple of records were duds for them. They only sold a half sure. a million. And back then a band like Aerosmith only going gold, it's a failure. It is a failure. And they had two back-to-back records that went gold. And that, that's a fa- and today it's pretty solid, but back right. then in the late seventies, early eighties, it's a failure. Yeah. It was draw the line. One of those, or was it done with mirrors and, you know what I'm saying? Was that? Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was rock in a hard place. Okay. And done with mirrors. Okay. Okay. And rock in, if I'm not mistaken, rock in a hard place didn't have Joe Perry. That was the record that didn't have Joe Perry on it. Okay. And Brad Whitford, I think. Yeah. I remember, I, I, I remember there was a moment where they weren't, yeah, where they weren't in the band. And the funny thing about that record, rock in a hard place is it was produced by, they went back and got Jack Douglas to come back in. Okay. And then Steven Tyler and then a guy named Tony Bon Jovi. Uh, yeah. Tony is John Bon Jovi's cousin. Wow. So I think that's pretty, that was pretty cool. You know, um, that but, is cool. That's the first I've heard that story. You know, I yeah. knew the, who he was, but I'm just saying, yeah. I didn't know anything about that being a part of that record. That's yeah. Awesome. And that was, that was pre Bon Jovi really. You know what I mean? Uh, you're right. Was yeah, 19, it was. That was 1982. So permanent vacation comes out in 1987. The differences between this record and all their previous records was they hired a new producer that they'd never used before named Bruce Fairbairn. And they got a little songwriter named Desmond Child. Desmond Child name comes up on so many records (laughs) throughout history. When you're talking about when you're talking about that time frame, that era, I was made for loving you, man. He wrote "I was made for loving you." Yeah, he wrote that. He he wrote "Living on a Prayer." Yeah, oh yeah, come on, it's just. It's just insanity. The guy is just, I mean, he wrote and produced the majority of Rat Detonator, which is one of my yes. favorite rock records. Well, I mean, check out this, insane. Steve. Check out this. some of these songs he wrote, all right? He wrote, I Hate Myself for Loving You mm. for Jump with Joan Jett, right? He wrote, You Gonna Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer, um, How Can We Be Lovers If We Can't Be Friends, that mm. song. Um, you Want to Make a Memory, which was... Uh, Bon Jovi, you know, off the Lost Highway record. Um, I mean, that's just a few of the songs. You know, it's just the the it goes the well, list goes well, on and on. Well, yeah. Well, let's go to let's go back to Permanent Vacation from okay from sure. Aerosmith. The dude looks like a lady. Yep. And <laughs> I mean, come on. And the massive ballad on there, Angel. Yes. Oh my gosh. So, now, Such a now hit. Holly Knight wrote Ragdoll with. Uh, Steve and Joe and Holly Knight wrote freaking kiss songs out the wazoo with them. You know, she wrote hide your heart, you know, she wrote the best for Tina Turner. That was her big deal. So yeah, they brought in some massive songwriters on this record and it worked. Yeah. Yeah, So worked. So it was, it was, so it was huge. So it's like the, the entrance to them kind of breaking and kind of resurging and having basically the comeback of their career started with this run DMC kind of pairing and duet that right. Rick Rubin put together. Right. And then it culminated into permanent vacation in 1987 and that record sold 5 million. And then the next record that came out after that, they used the same formula. They still had Bruce producing and they had Desmond in doing some co-writing pump, pump. from 1989 oh sold another 7 million copies. 
And, and we said Desmond, he wrote, yeah, he, he wrote, wrote what, what it crazy, takes, what it takes, yeah. crazy and crying off that. Yeah. Yeah. Golly, man. So, and, um, and then when, when did, when, okay, you're talking about a comeback though. When did the Armageddon soundtrack come out? Are we looking at a few years down the yeah, road? Yeah, Armageddon's, Ar- Ar- okay. Armageddon's still okay, down the road. So we're not so, in the picture. Okay. No, okay. no, no. no. That's cool. So then Get a Grip comes out. Um, okay, after that's Pump. An, right. Another 7 million records sold. They use Bruce again and Desmond to co write. So their formula with Geffen Records was, you know, with, with Permanent Vacation, Pump, get a grip was all Bruce and Desmond. Right. It was like the, it was like the miracle pairing. It was like the two, the two guys that they brought in to, to, to the picture. Yes. And I don't know if that was a Geffen thing. I don't know if their right. A&R guy right. Geffen kind of was like, Hey, wait a minute, you guys would be great with Bruce and we need to bring in Desmond because none of that stuff really, those guys really mm. weren't in the Aerosmith picture up until this point. No, they weren't. And I just wonder you know, because Aerosmith, if you look at their history, they seem like a very tight unit where, you know, we're in our little Aerosmith camp and everybody else is around, right? So I wonder what kind of heads were butted when, especially with Tyler being a songwriter that he is, right, and Dream On and all that, you know, you just wonder if if he really bucked that. Say, yeah. no, we're not bringing in another writer. And then when he saw what it did... You know, I just yeah. wonder. I've read Joe Perry's book, and he talked about Desmond in there. I, I've, it's been so long since I read it, I just can't remember. Great book, but I just can't remember what he always said about it. But I can't help but think that they really kind of were resistant to that. I'm yeah. glad they're probably glad they did now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, because I mean, if you go back yeah, and look at their know. records, you can see. I mean, they did co-write in the past. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if it was necessarily something that was a resistance to them. Um, right. You know, obviously. Joe and Steven were kind of the principal mm-hmm. writers. Right, right. Um, but if you kind of look through their credits on their albums, there's always a couple people in there, okay. like the pop in and out, you know, as, sure. as songwriters. Um, then in 1987, the next record after Get a Grip was Nine Lives. And Nine mm-hmm. Lives did pretty decent yeah, in its own right. I mean, Falling in Love was Hard on the Knees that was on yeah. there. And that that record though, now, song, they man. went from they went from permanent vacation five million, pump seven million, get a grip seven million, nine lives two million. What changed? Okay. What changed? Desmond, new producer, and, and no Desmond. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm telling you, man, those two I mean, dudes they, made all the difference for Aerosmith, and it, and really, the culmination of their career happened yes. in the in the late '80s, from '87 so, on. So really and truly, you know, with with Aerosmith's catalog from the 70s, the massive rock and roll catalog it had. So they right. did that. They do that to kind of and everybody becomes Aerosmith fans Then they have that that kind of downtime. Then they bring back this little combination. So really, they built a career off of what happened and ended in the 80s. Pretty yeah. much. I mean, yeah. those records, they put out records since then, but not the massive yeah. success that they've had. So they've been able to tour with these records, you know, punk right. and these, you know, get a right. grip in this. And so you, you mentioned the Armageddon soundtrack that came out. Um, now obviously by this point, they're back on Columbia records. They leave Geffen, go back to Columbia right. and, um, don't want to miss a thing came out in 1998. Okay. Along with uh, the Di- film. Diane Warren wrote Warren. it. Master Letic. Massive. Master Letic produced. Master Letic produced it. Yeah. Produced this. Uh huh. Golly, man. 
and that record, that soundtrack did four times platinum. It's a million oh, record. That's a great, great soundtrack. Really I mean, soundtrack. it is massive soundtrack. I, I'm not a big soundtrack person, but that one's great. Yeah, I like. Um, this is gonna sound crazy. I like that thing you do, the wonders. Oh, I love soundtrack. that one too. <laughs> I know, man. I love that. You know, those are all songs like specifically from the movie. Mm-hmm. You know. From no name, no names, right? Just yeah, the, yeah. Basically the, that's right. The mock artists from that from that film. But let, let's, I'll tell you this much on the Armageddon soundtrack. One of the things that I found interesting um, in reading Steve Gorman's book from the Black mm-hmm. Crows, they were on Columbia Records at this time too. So they okay. had done a deal with Columbia and they released the the album By Your Side on Great on record. this, which you and I saw that Absolutely. tour. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. It's one of my favorite. It's definitely one of the better produced albums. Yes. Kevin Kevin Shirley produced it. Okay. He produced Nine okay. Lives for Aerosmith. Right. So it was right. definitely a Columbia kind of A and R thing for them to use Kevin Shirley on this record, on the By Your Side record for the Black Crows. Mm-hmm. The Black Crows were asked by Columbia to put a song on the Armageddon soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Begged mm-hmm. them to do it. Begged them. I and doing that. they declined. And We're not doing that. That's the thing that I believe, well, Gorman says it in his book, that was the nail in the coffin for them yes. Columbia. That made Columbia basically pull the plug on anything because they were like, look, you guys aren't doing anything we're asking. We're done with you. Yeah. So they put the record out and they put no promotion into it. And the record, I mean, for all intents and purposes, kind of fails. It was a dud. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite Black Crows records. God, but like, it was a oh, God, man, that song, that record is massively got some great songs. It's on got it. great songs. But I think that we would be talking about potentially would be talking about the Black Crows tonight mm-hmm. on no, a comeback. No having a on comeback. a comeback. That's if right, man. Done that, made that decision because that would have introduced them to four million more people that probably weren't Black Crows fans because that's, that's how many people. No doubt, man. No doubt. And, you know, that soundtrack, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I know that. You know, Journey was on it, um, and that's when O'Gear, uh, Steve Algeria yeah, was their yeah. singer. You know, yep. he was on it, and then that's the, the I don't want to miss a thing. The video itself, oh. when when freaking Liv Tyler is you know watching the screen, and it, golly man, they and so I will tell you the truth, man. Steven Tyler looks great in that video, yeah. just the way they have you know have him. Yeah, yeah man, they was a home run, like a grand slam home run when they did that that soundtrack. Yeah, man, it was it was massive. And so, yeah, I, that for me, like, that's the thing with like the I go back to the whole Black Crows thing. And it's like, man, I just love that band so much. But gosh, me man, too. like, you know, I, they just they, they yeah. wouldn't accept any help. It's just like they constantly beat them, beat themselves up. That's you said it right there. They it was almost like they had everything at their disposal and they mm-hmm. just turned their backs. Yeah. And, I think that's what Gorman, I mean, and think about Gorman's book. The dude is so smart. You know, he was like scratching his head. What in the crap? We got this opportunity to do. Yeah. You know, and it puts us, and it put, it would have put them on the same level, man. Yeah. You know, as those guys, but, you know, Aerosmith's on it. Journey's on it. Um, Sean Colvin is on it. Come Together's on it. Uh, Patty Smythe from Scandal. You know, she did The Warrior. And then Steven Tyler does a song by himself. Trevor Rabin from Yes is on here. I yeah. mean, you know, my gosh, what a soundtrack. Yeah, it was, it was a great soundtrack. And so, you know, that, that was something for them, I think for Aerosmith, that really kind of continued to, to push for them. And then 
really the only other record that they put out that mattered since then came out in 2001. It was just, just push play. Yeah. And that, you know, it sold a million records, you know, it's a decent album, but that's really the last thing that they've done that, that really kind of had anything, anything, but look, man, did you see the tour permanent vacation tour? No, I saw the pump. I saw, I saw permanent vacation. I, it was, it was crazy, man. It was a white lion, great white and Aerosmith. That was the, and it was, but what was funny was as soon as the curtain, my wife was with me and she knew who Aerosmith was, but she just wasn't putting it together. But as soon as the curtain dropped, Steven puts the mic stand between his legs and he's galloping around. Oh yeah. And my wife looked at me and she went, what in the world is he doing? And I'll yeah. never forget her. And I'm into yeah. it, man. She's like, well, who, what is he doing? Great yeah. show, you know, but that yeah. was that kind of a comeback or that, that, that tour of that record, I should say. It was really good. I didn't know if you'd seen it or not. Yeah, no, I saw the pump tour. Okay. And I did too. Joan Jett opened, yeah. um, opened that one, which, you know, I mean, I'm I, not I wasn't, a huge Jet fan. I'm, yeah, I'm still I, not. I wasn't. And I, and again, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really a huge fan either, but, um, it was cool. I it was cool to see her. It was really cool. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, Runaways are oh yeah, to, to me, you know, they're a legendary band, and I thought it was Absolutely. cool to at least see at least see Joan Jett and the Black it's, Hearts. Uh, that it's night funny that, that that she's on the big tour with Leopard and yeah. Poison <laughs> and Motley. I think that's funny that she was. Yeah. You know, I have other people that I think would have been better as the oh, opening slot, but you know, that's who they chose, and it'll be great. You know, but, yeah, yeah, it's a great yeah. album, though. You know, speaking of comebacks, I mean, not that we really ever had a dud episode because we haven't, but <laughs> this this could be our comeback episode. This at well, <laughs> why don't this we? This is the one that, that this is the one that put put us on the map. I think the only thing we're missing is uh, Desmond Child. He maybe should have been a guest on the show tonight. He could have helped write our podcast. <laughs> That's right. As if that have been written. something. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we don't even write these things. We don't we just, write this thing, man. We don't even have cue cards. Well, you might have some cue cards just because for some facts or whatever. Oh man, but, man, we just go off the cuff, man. Yep, yep. That's great. No, that's that's us, man. That's how it works. Well, hey, listen, we have the podcast everywhere. It's on Apple Podcasts. It it's is. on Spotify. It's on Google Podcasts. It's it's literally everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Yep. We're hey, there friends. in your hair, bothering you. <laughs> So we're there in your hair, like your hair bothering you. So you might as well come listen to us and hang out with us. We're like that shampoo of podcasts. That's what we are. (laughs) We're there in your hair, baby. Well, it is true because we are a clean podcast. It's a family show. Listen, here we are, guys. Seriously, come hang out with us. Thank you for listening. I'm going to bed. I'll see you next week. (laughs) Good evening.